Now, I never thought I'd be this guy, if I'm honest, but um, I'm about to share a story about my dog with you. I know, I know. Uh, It's bad enough when people preach stories about their children, uh, but when people preach stories about their dog, it really is scraping the barrel. (laughs) Nonetheless, uh, I really did feel uh, the Lord speak to me this morning when I was walking my dog, Labrador puppy, just about 16 weeks old, uh, walking this morning. And um, what I'm trying to teach my dog Willow, if you're interested. Uh, what I'm trying to teach her at the moment is to, is to walk to heal. And I tried this uh, way of doing this, which is essentially punitive. Anything that she did, or whenever she would walk ahead of me, what I would do is I'd, I'd pull on the lead and I'd turn around. And uh, there, was all this, uh, there was also this set of bells that I'd sort of ring to sort of tell her that she'd done the wrong thing. And um, I didn't really find much joy in that. There wasn't really much help in it either. It didn't really work at all. And then somebody said, hey, why don't you just, start, why don't you just feed her treats? I thought, yeah, that might work. She likes food. So uh, I've sort of given up the punitive approach. And I've started just to walk along and walking with this treat just by my side. And if she does it right, I say, good girl, clever girl, and I drop her a treat. You know, and, she, and that's sort of how we're working on it at the moment. It's been a bit more effective. But what I sort of was thinking this morning as I was walking along is that, that, that the whole thing of walking to heel, that's what you call it, right? Where the dog is walking at your heel. This whole idea, this notion of walking to heel is essentially what the scripture is talking about when it talks about keeping in step with the spirit. Now, when it's working well, which is not as often as I'd like, but when it's working well for, for Willow and I, I'm walking and she will keep on walking almost exactly in my stride pattern. That is what I'm aiming for. So that if I stop, she stops. If I start going, if I accelerate, she accelerates, perfectly matching my stride. That's what I'm going for. That's walking to heel. That's keeping in step with me. But what happens, you see, is that she loses focus. So she's walking perfectly well. And when she's walking perfectly well, what she's doing is this. She's looking up at me. Why is she looking up at me? Well, she's looking at me for one reason. She knows I've got something good to give to her. Some kind of treat might well drop her way if she continues to focus on me. Her attention, her affection, her devotion. If she's looking at me, she might get a treat. And so she walks in step with me. But what happens is this. Every morning, something will happen that will distract her. She's a young puppy. It could be anything. This morning, it's always always another dog. So as soon as I see another dog, I have to chase after her, you know, grab her down, put the lead on or whatever. I just have to get her close to me. If it's not another dog, this morning it was a leaf blowing in the wind. Storm Brian <laughs> pushed a leaf ahead and Willow was off on it. And if I hadn't had the lead on, she'd have probably run into the road. Who knows what could have happened. Distractions often happen. It might be something on the floor she wants to sniff. Now what happens is she'll, she'll do one of two things if she's going out of step with me. The first is she'll run off ahead. It's about 50% of the time she does that. She runs off ahead. Now, what do I do when she runs off ahead? The tempting thing to do, and this is the mistake I think most dog owners make, is they run after the dog. The dog, of course, gets more excited and the dog runs off ahead. Even further, you end up in this chase that you're never going to win because they're quicker than you. They've got four legs. (laughs) Not a fair fight, folks. The sensible money is to stay still. And if your dog has any connection with you, which by the way, if you've been feeding it treats for the last half an hour, it should. (laughs) Your dog will stop at some point and look around. Oh, where's my master? I must go back. And she often does. She'll return to me. I'll call her and she returns. 
The other thing is, of course, is she stops and I carry on walking and she sniffs or whatever she's distracted by. Now, the temptation again there is to return to her. But that's not what I do because I know that the best way to get her to catch up with me is to continue walking. It's all about learning, teaching her to keep in step with me. I think God's like that. You know, often we, it's so easy for us as, we're the dog, by the way, in this image. I hope that's not uncomfortable for you. I'm also God in this image. That's worrying. (laughs) Jesus is the master. Our job is to keep our eyes trained on him. To walk, as Galatians 5 says, in step with the Spirit. The Spirit in the Bible, by the way, is described as being the Spirit of Christ. That's our job, to keep in step with him. But we can become so easily distracted so divided, we lose our attention, we, we miss him, we run off ahead or we're just distracted, we're kept behind because something else interests us but what God is looking for is a people who learn, are learning all the time how to walk in step, to keep next to him, why? Because he has good things to give to us and here's the thing, When we keep in step with the Spirit, the Scriptures say that the result, the consequence of that ongoing intimate relationship of eye to eye, eye contact, the ongoing outpouring, the the, the work that comes out is fruit. And Scriptures refer to fruit again and again and again. Ephesians talked about it. Sorry, Galatians talked about it. Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are things God, God gives to us which are good. These are the things that God intends that Christian lives, individual Christian lives, and Christian communities will evidence to the world. Why? Because God wants to bless the world. God wants there to be fruitful, nice things, tasty, sweet things for the world to eat. Because God's intention for creation was to bless creation. God wants fruit hanging off of his people, hanging out of the church so that people can come by and say, wow, that tastes good. I wonder who the gardener is to change the image. We looked at Ezekiel 47 last week. And the line that we read from That scripture this morning from Ezekiel, he says, wishing he'd put his finger in the Bible, was this, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And we said that we want to be the church on fire a few weeks ago. And we talked about what that would be and how we would get there. And then we said that our intention is to see the city come alive. And we said last week, we said, how's it going to happen? And we said, the only way to see a city come alive is a stream that emerges from a temple. Is God to pour out his living water, his Holy Spirit, his presence. That's the only way to see a city come alive. It's nothing we can do. All we can do is ask him to do what only he can do to pour out his spirit. And we said that is the foundation of this church. That is what we're existing for. To cry out to God, send your spirit. There is no plan B. That is plan A. That he pours out his spirit. There's no plan B. If he doesn't do that, we're going to wait. We're going to pray until he does. And he has and he is. He's begun. 
And we talked about doing that as an institution and then uh, we talked about what it would mean for us as individuals. And I said that the key image here is these trees. They're the images, using some preacher's license if I'm really honest. I'm not sure Ezekiel would have approved if he was here, but you know what, he's not. So I'm gonna crack on. And the image was of trees by the banks of the river, fruitful trees. And their fruit was for uh, food and for the healing of the nations. And we said that that's like the individuals in the church. We want to be fruitful trees because God wants fruit to bless his people. We want to be fruitful people. Now, the Bible talks all about fruit in so many places. Psalm 1, we read this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season. And whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Fruit is about where you delight, according to the psalm. What about Jeremiah 17, 8? Goodness me, come on. There it is. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by a stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought. Never fails to bear fruit. Fruit is about where your confidence is, according to Jeremiah. Thirdly, we see in Revelation 22, verse two, a tour of the Bible, folks. A Bible study, who knew? Just I can't open it. There we go. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. You see the combination, the connection. Yeah, uh, the writer, the apostle John in Ezekiel in this vision is picking up the language of Ezekiel. He's saying, look, in the future, in the coming kingdom, what's there gonna be? It's going to be a river, a river that no one can cross. And on each side, there's going to be fruit. And that fruit is for the healing of the nation's church. Our goal is to become trees that bear fruit. Not just fruit that we, we ourselves can enjoy, though that's going to be fun. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Amazing! Who doesn't want more of those things? You don't want more love. You don't want more peace. All of that stuff, so you're probably in the wrong place because that's where we're headed. That's where we're headed. That's what it means to look more like Jesus, to experience those things. It's for us, but it's not just for us. It's for the, it's for the world. It's for the city. It's for the nation. It's for the nations. It's for everyone. The coming kingdom looks like people bearing fruit. What might this fruit look like? It's a question I want to ask and answer. And I realise I didn't start my timer. Uh, so this could be a long one, folks. Um, I, I just want to draw our attention, if we've got time, to three things. I'll cut it short if we don't. The first one, I think, is the most important thing. And I suppose I could have read any of them out of Galatians 5, but I chose not to, which is um, probably poor form. But the first thing, I just sense the Lord saying for our community, this is a, maybe a, the word of a father over this community, is that I think we're supposed to be a community that uh, one of the primary fruits here is compassion. Compassion. I 
On 72 occasions in the Bible, we see that word compassion. It's a lot, it's a lot of times. The majority, interestingly enough, the majority of the occasions the Bible refers to compassion is in the Old Testament. So often we think that the Old Testament's the wrathful, vengeful bit. But actually, on and on and on and on in the Old Testament, we, we see that the Scripture's reflecting a vision of a God who is a compassionate Father, who longs to bring His people back to Himself, though they've wandered away, who wants to draw them back to Himself with a faithful, His faithful love. The Old Testament speaks of a Father, a compassionate Father, This word exists 15 times in the New Testament, seven times in the Gospel alone. One one such occasion, probably uh, the most famous and maybe my favourite, is the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. It says, while he was still a long way off, his father, God, saw him and was filled with compassion for him. It's used on many occasions to describe Jesus. Compassion is a word used to describe Jesus. Compassion, when it's used to describe Jesus, always precedes some kind of act that Jesus is about to do. Where you see compassion, you know Jesus is about to do something. Compassion is never this uh, disconnected emotion. It always leads to activity for Jesus. Now, what what kind of activity? Well, normally, often it's healing, but it's not exclusively. Sometimes it's teaching or some other supernatural act. Matthew 14, 14, he heals the sick. Matthew 15, 32, compassion, and then he feeds the 5,000. Matthew 20, 34, compassion, he heals the blind person. Matthew 6, Mark 6, 34, compassion, and he teaches them. Compassion leads to action in the scripture. Compassion always motivates action of some kind. Action which is specifically for the benefit of others. What is compassion? The Greek word is actually very difficult to pronounce. There's a lot of consonants right there in the middle. Splagnizomai is the the middle voice that's used. Splag. I checked this with a, a medical professional yesterday. So... Here you go, good authority. Um, The splanchnic nerve, I remember this from my A-level biology exams as well. The splanchnic nerve is the nerve, one of the nerves, I'm told there are more than, you know, there's a number, but the the splanchnic nerve is the nerve that innervates the the, the bowels, the stomach. I think that's right. Certainly about right, which is close enough. (laughs) Literally, anything that has to do with splank has to do with the guts. So to, to be moved with compassion literally means to have the bowels yearn. So it's a powerful image. <laughs> you know, in, in Jesus' time, it, they didn't believe the seat of emotion was here in the heart. It was here in the guts. You might say Jesus was moved with pity, or another way to say, say it would be his heart contracted convulsively. Again, I heard this a little while ago, so I might be wrong here, but you can check it in your own time on Google. But I think that the... Uh, your, your guts is referred to as your second brain because there's, there's a unique connection in your brain and your, and your guts. As I think it's of all the places in your, it's the second most innovated, second most amount of nerves go to this area of your body after your brain. And again, do check that on your own time, but that's pretty sure I'm right in that. Feeling that emerges in the guts. It's like, it's the, the, if you move with compassion, this is what you feel. Oh! It's like, oh! It's not a wishy-washy, it's not a, 
Oh, isn't it wonderful? Trees and fields and it's like, oh. God is moving in this place and he's bringing compassion. It's going to be sometimes painful. It's going to be messy. It's about the core of who we are. That's what God wants to do. He's promised to move powerfully in this city. We heard about that a few weeks ago. He's promised to move powerfully in this church. Well, first, before he sends his power, he's got to send his love. He's got to send his compassion. Before he trusts us with his power, he needs to be able to trust us with his heart. Ask for his heart. Ask for his compassion. Ask to be moved with pity. We need to be moved. When we see the world around us, we should be moved. Only by the Spirit can it happen, you know. God isn't looking for do-gooders. Few. He's looking for people who are available, whose hearts are open, who will give their, their lives an empty vessel for him. And he will fill that empty vessel with his own self, his love, his compassion, his joy, his peace. Just be open, just be empty and watch what he'll do. Don't know what more to say. Let's just wait a moment. going to begin to pray Lord would you would you uh, reorder our minds Lord I want to pray that where we've seen you as anything other than a compassionate and gracious father please Lord would you heal oh Lord we we think you're someone you're not Someone other than the, the Father of Jesus. Someone other than the one who lays down his life for us, who gives his most precious thing for us, who opens up his heart and pours out goodness for us. Forgive us, God. Help us, heal us, change us. I pray mercy for the people who, in this place, is. We struggle to see you in that way. Break the power, God, in this place of curses, uh, words that have been functioned as curses and, and from even parents and those that love us even. Just they've operated in, in ways, experiences even that operate in ways that make us think you're not who you really are. Heal us, God. Fill our bodies, fill our guts with your compassion.
the, the second thing, well, the third thing, we'll leave the second thing. I think that the Lord is doing here has to do with thanksgiving. Uh, where there's compassion, there'll be thanksgiving. Uh, and I think that's because where there's compassion, where we learn to see ourselves with God's eyes, learn to see ourselves according to his kingdom, we begin, that's the place where gratitude begins. We live in a world that's dripping with entitlement. I deserve my rights. In many ways, that's the sort of cry of the 20th century, the development of rights. But actually, the, the Christian faith does not begin with rights. Uh, a follower of Jesus doesn't say, I deserve. A follower of Jesus says, everything is gift. Everything has been given to me. And again, thanksgiving is a theme that's just all over the scriptures. 46 times in the New Testament alone, giving thanks is mentioned 16 times in the gospel. And the word is Eucharisto, from which we get the word Eucharist, communion. Thanksgiving is core to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a thankful person. Somebody practices gratitude, and I know sometimes gratitude isn't the first thing we, we encounter in the morning, isn't it? Silly o'clock this morning when my son climbed into bed and kicked me. Uh, gratitude probably wasn't the first thing on my lips. <laughs> And then you see he'll climb on the bed sheets and so I can't get them over me and I'm freezing cold. And I don't probably, gratitude doesn't pour out of me. And yet actually gratitude is the posture that we're supposed to take always in the world. Whatever's happening to us, why? Because everything is gift. The breath in our lungs, the, the ability to be here this morning. To sit here, to be in God's presence, to, to have one another. Coffee, wow, I loved it. Roasted in Nottingham, did you know? Amazing, what, the fruits of the light that God has given to us in this wonderful city. The opportunity to study, to work or to have friends or to have experienced his goodness in our lives. Whatever it is, each of us has a different story. There are things that each of us lacks, but yet there are things, gifts that God has given to us. And in that place and from that place, we say thank you, not because we deserve something. Not because we have a right to something, because even though we deserve nothing, he's given us everything. You know, Jesus was the most thankful person in human history. Jesus, his life was all about thanksgiving. There are two key moments in the Gospels I want to draw attention to quickly before we move into our next era of our worship this morning. And the first is where Jesus feeds the 5,000. It actually happens again when he feeds the 4,000. And there's this, uh, this journey that happens. And the first thing Jesus does is he gives thanks. Eucharisto, it says in the Greek. He gives thanks over the bread. He's got this paltry amount in front of him. It's not enough. That's the point. It's not enough to feed the people in this room, let alone 5,000 men and women and children on top of that. It's not enough, but yet he gives thanks. That's the first phase. He gives thanks. The second thing he does is he breaks the bread. The third thing he does is he gives the bread to his disciples. And then the fourth thing that happens is they then give it. Now we have an almost identical thing happening at the Last Supper. What happens is Jesus 
does the same thing. This is what we read. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had given thanks, he takes it. He gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body. Thanksgiving leading to breaking and giving. Now the disciples at this moment don't hand it out. But of course, they're about to hear in the Great Commission that their job is to then take this bread. To hand this bread out, not just to the people in this crowd of four or 5,000, but to the whole world. And it begins in thanksgiving. The blessing that comes through Jesus' body being broken is for us to share. And we share it with the world. The fruit of thanksgiving is shared with the world as we give thanks to God. As we go out into the city as thankful people, as we practice the discipline of thanksgiving and compassion, we become a blessing. Our fruit is good to the taste. In a world of entitlement, thanksgiving is gold. It's tasty. In a world where offence abounds, where you can get in a a fight, you can get killed because of a, a minor infraction on the road where you say something wrong wrong on Twitter and people slam you, they crush you, your whole career can be broken because of one misstep. A world full of offence. What would a people of thanksgiving look like? What would a people of thanksgiving taste like? What would a people of compassion taste like? They'd be good news. They'd be a blessing. Church, close with this. What does it mean to keep in step with the Spirit? To keep in step with the Spirit is to bear the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is manifold. Go and read them in your own time. The important thing to know is they're secondary. They're fruits that come from an ongoing relationship with God, from keeping in step with Him. If my dog stays close to me, she will get treats. But they're for the blessing, for the feeding and the healing of the nations. And for us and our journey as a church, two key things are compassion and thanksgiving.